Throughout the life of the Lollygaggers podcast, many listeners have written in asking whether or not the sexual tension between hosts is real. Well, I'm here to tell you, no. No, it is not. In this episode, Jeff plays hide-and-seek while quarantined with the board game Not Alone, while Justin drools and turns tricks for a Valorant beta key. Both Lollygaggers then offer their first impressions of Amazon's new series, Tales from the Loop. Welcome to episode number 35 of the Lollygaggers podcast, a show about all sorts of different things, comics to games, movies to TV. I am one of your hosts, Jeff. I'm the other one, Justin. How's it going, buddy? It's going all right, man. Uh, We didn't uh, record last week because uh, it's hard to schedule. We're both like teaching from home and your wife is also teaching from home. So that's fun to navigate around who gets to use Zoom that day. Uh, But uh, it's cool to be back. Cool to be back. Yeah, it's been a it's been, you know, I saw a thing online. It was I think it was Ohio. They did a what day of the week it is thing. It's pretty funny. It was like, what day of the week it is? And it's like. This yeah. big opening, and then they bring up an announcer. Just goes, "It's Wednesday," and then they do the closeout. Yeah. It's easy to lose track of things. Like my wife and I have both noticed since we're working from home. Like there are times when, like we look up and we're like, "When the hell did it become six o'clock?" Like how how did that happen? Like it was, it's so strange. Like I'm just sitting, you know, I'm sitting in the office, and she's got her own her her own office area, and like we're both like all of a sudden it's uh it's six o'clock out of nowhere. Uh, so anyway, other big news for us, even though we didn't uh, record the podcast last week, Justin and I still actually did something. Uh, we started a new show over on Twitch. Uh, Justin is actually a player in one of the RPG groups that we're running uh, for a while now with the Adventures in Lollygagging podcast, which is like the sister podcast to this one. Uh, I have been GMing a bunch of uh, a bunch of our friends through a kind of a long ongoing campaign, and we've been using... Uh, the Zweihander RPG system by Grim and Perilous. And they, uh, the folks, the kind folks over there actually invited us onto their Twitch channel to start doing a regular show. So every Thursdays, we are now doing uh, a show over on twitch.tv slash Zweihander RPG. Uh, and it is a, it is me and it is Justin and it is a few people from the Adventures and Lollygagging uh, group. And we're playing through using Zweihander, using some more stuff. It's uh, seven, around seven o'clock. Uh, I think that's when we start PST. So adjust accordingly, depending upon your uh, your time zone. But we've had one session. Uh, it was really fun, and you can actually head to the twi- their Twitch channel and probably watch it if uh, if you weren't uh, paying attention last week. Uh, so Justin, it is like your first time, not your first time playing, because we've played some other odds and ends here, but like. Your first time, kind of getting a taste of Zweihander and kind of doing like a like playing the game as as though it's part show and part game, like where you're where you're you're getting you're making sure that you're being exciting and making sure people are interested. Like, how'd it go? What do you, what do you think? First uh, first step. That was fun. Um, I thought the the like method of playing was pretty intuitive. I think it's weird thinking about lowest number instead of highest number. That's probably yeah. the weirdest thing. Kind of gives you wrap your head around. Right. But I think it was fun. I think you did a really good job of DMing, creating a, an environment. Thanks, um, buddy. Um, but uh, I think I did the best job of performing. So, Of, of course. Uh, yeah. I've heard a couple people have actually, I, I can actually confirm that a lot of people really loved your character. Uh, so Justin is playing a wrestler. Uh, but not only that, he's playing a cat wrestler, like a cat person that they call Ubasti, which is a new ancestry for Zweihander. And not only that, but the cat 
is is corpulent, right? Aren't you like a really fat cat? Big wrestler? fat wrestling cat. And I oh, have some stuff over so for us uh, next episode. It's some good stuff. I'm really looking forward well, to it. Well, I am also looking forward to it because it was a hell of an ending and I can't wait uh, to see where it goes from here. So uh, if uh, if you all uh, listening wouldn't mind uh, coming and hanging out at the twitch.tv slash Zweihander RPG channel, uh, please do so. Uh, come hang out with us, 7 o'clock PST. Uh, watch Justin uh, be silly and watch me uh, be uh, be silly, and it'll be fun. And then on Fridays, we also, Justin's not part of this movie, we also started another show uh, a couple weeks back with me, a few people from Adventures in Lollygagging, and some other friends of ours who aren't actually part of any of our, 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 game, our game groups or previous game groups. Uh, so we're doing a Mutant Year Zero uh, Twitch show, and that's on our Twitch at twitch.tv slash the lollygaggers. We play at 6 p.m. PST, uh, and it's that's a cool one. That's like a post-apocalyptic game where everyone plays animal mutants. And so like like Logan is playing like a, a Wolverine mutant. So it's like, like they're like half human, half Wolverine, and then like it's in a post-apocalyptic setting. And then... Yeah, I knew I knew I knew he was going to go Wolverine. Like I, I I knew it. And so we got a couple others. Uh, Derek, one of our other friends who isn't part of the, the main group, he's uh, or the, the main Adventures in the Legging podcast. He's uh, he's playing a chameleon, uh, which is pretty cool, like half uh, half human, half chameleon. Uh, so come check that out. So we got some other stuff. So Mondays, we're still doing our Adventures in Lollygagging drops. Uh, Tuesdays, we're trying to drop a YouTube our YouTube video for like the replay of Mutant Year Zero. Wednesdays, we drop this. Thursdays, we're playing at night uh, with the Ailing Isle game. That's what it's called on Zweihander, uh, twitch.tv slash Zweihander RPG. And then Fridays, we're doing Mutant Year Zero. So we're trying to drop something every day. So uh, on our various channels and our various friends' channels. Uh, so come take a look. Uh, but getting back to our this one, this is this was the flagship. This was the thing that got us all started, this Lollygaggers podcast. And one of the things that we wanted to do with this one is we wanted to start talking about the different games and comics and shows that we were watching and, and t- kind of tell the other about what we've been doing, which I think in the, in this day and age with what's with every, with everything that's going on, it's, it's important to sort of stay connected. And I think it's, it's reinforcing it even more. And so I wanted to talk uh, oddly enough about a board game. Uh, and, and when I say oddly enough, I'm referring to the title because the title of this board game is not alone. Uh, and I'm not doing this for any, you know, particular fancy reason but other than that i played this game and it's fun uh, but it is called not alone it's by gislan masson uh, with artwork by sebastian cavu i imagine they're french maybe i'm not sure uh it's by geek attitude games and published by stronghold i don't think stronghold actually exists and it's in the same capacity anymore but the game's out there you can buy it and it's a tiny little game it's a little box uh, it doesn't cost that much probably 20 bucks maybe uh, and it plays and scales pretty well. You can play it anywhere from two to seven players, which is really, really nice. Not not many games do that, uh, have that sort of huge scaling arc. Um, and, and it's because like this could be, you could treat this game very much like a, like a one-on-one, uh, or you can treat it like it's a party game where you have like one versus all. Uh, so the basic premise of this game is that it, it's a, thematically it's sci-fi and it's set in the 25th century. And many... Many folks uh, from humanity have started spreading out about the the galaxy and into the stars. And so this game is about a group of people who have been traveling across the stars who have crash landed on a alien planet. And 
the alien planet itself isn't just, you know, it's exotic and crazy and, 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 and whatnot, but it also is home to a somewhat aggressive alien. And so one person takes on the role of the alien and, uh, or, and it's kind of odd to say alien, you can call it monster or whatever, since it's their planet and everybody else takes on the role uh, of the human, uh, the humans that actually crash landed on that planet. And they're all working together cooperatively and they're all trying and, you know, to get off the actual planet. And the, the monster, the alien is actually trying to hunt them down, uh, before they can leave. So the game is very much like hide and seek and that, the person who's playing the monster alien is the seeker and everybody else are hiders. Uh, the game doesn't have like a massive board. It has a couple different pieces, a few different decks of cards and the different decks of cards. Some of them correspond to specific locations. Uh, these are locations that you can on a turn travel to. And I don't want to say hide, but that's kind of what you're doing. You're going to this location and then the monster gets a chance to kind of go to a location as well. And if you're at that location, bad things happen to you. Uh, is basically how it works. Now it's not an instant kill or anything, but like you, you know, you can you can go to a place, get caught once, and then you kind of lose some health. And you ne- there's no player elimination or anything like that either. Uh, but it's just it's kind of whittling it down. Uh, there's also one of the other pieces that you lay on the table when you play. In addition to all these cards that you that you fan out and show the different locations, but you also have these this tracker, uh, and it's and it goes from left to right or from right to left because one side. Uh, you move a, a tracker along these different spots uh, from left to right, signifying the rescue ship coming to save the humans that crash landed. And then there's another marker on the right hand side of this tracker that moves from right to left. And this signifies, uh, you know, the, the monster kind of getting better and better and more capable. And like they're going to track down these, you know, these invading humans much more easily. Now, the game is broken down into rounds and every round a, each player gets to secretly pick from a hand of cards. Everybody has a hand of cards and the cards are corresponding to the different location cards that are out on the table. And so they secretly play down one card uh, and that's the card that they're going to visit. That's the location they're going to visit that turn. So they place that face down. The, uh, the monster does the same thing. They decide where they want to go. There's also a few other things that the monster can decide as well. They can kind of send almost like a clone of themselves somewhere else. I don't want to get too much into like what it's actually called, but they get a couple other tokens where they can potentially mark other places. And then once everyone has set up where they're where they're going to go, uh, everyone flips their cards and you resolve things. And so if you're on a spot that's the same spot as the monster, then you lose some health and you don't get to perform uh, the special action at that location because every location has a special action. Uh, if you are on a location where the monster is not there or the monster didn't send some kind of proxy there, then you can go ahead and take advantage of that location. Uh, at the start of the game, there's only five locations that you can gain access to. But as the game progresses, there's all these other locations uh, that you can prevent- potentially explore as well. So, for instance, there is one location like the rover where if you want to uh, if you want to try to explore some more and try to gain access to these other locations, you want to go to this site and that gives you access to to pull a new card into your hand. And so now you don't just have locations one to five, but you have location like seven as well. And so now in your hand, you can start playing cards. Now, over the course of each of these rounds, your what card you played in previous rounds uh, is face up. So the monster always knows which locations you have recently visited. So if you only had locations one to five in your hand, and I, and at me as the monster, and I'm looking at your discard, and it's and it's got two, three, and four. 
Well, then I know on this turn, you're either going to location one or location five. So it becomes easier and easier for the monster to sort of figure that out. Now, at a certain point, you can, if you want, as a, as a human player, you can actually take your discard pile back into your hand. But doing so advances, uh, kind of advances the track a little bit further. So there's kind of a, a trade-off. It's a little pusher, like how far do you want to push it? All the locations have a bunch of different, a uh, bunch of different uh, abilities. Some uh, allow you to kind of gain specific cards back into your hand from your discard pile. Maybe not your whole discard pile, but maybe like one or two. Uh, some allow you to kind of mimic or mirror other locations on the on the planet. Uh, some uh, allow you to kind of avoid certain abilities that the monster has as well. So there's a bunch of different things that they could basically do. Game doesn't take very long, maybe uh, half an hour or so to play. You can probably knock out maybe two or three of these pretty quickly without you know getting too bored. Maybe cycle around who gets to play the monster. Uh, but it's a really fun game, and it's been sitting on my shelf for a really long time. This game came out years ago, and since then they've released one expansion, and they're planning a second expansion uh, sometime this year. Uh, so I have the first, which is called Not Alone Exploration, and then there's Not Alone Sanctuary, which is apparently coming out later this year. I, I don't know the specific details. And there's also some promo cards and stuff that are floating around as well from various conventions. Uh, the art is really nice. It's very evocative. There's these two uh, big glowing eyes on the cover that's hovering over top of this uh, this kind of pinkish alien planet, which kind of gives you the sense of what's going on. There's like a predator predator type species somewhere on the planet and they're hunting you down from the dark. Uh, so it's a lot of fun. If you uh, if you like a game that if you don't mind playing one VR, not everyone does because one person is always like the, you know, versus like someone's always on their own. And I don't mind that because I when we played it a couple weeks ago, uh, I played the person who uh, who was out seeking. I always liked seeking more than I liked hiding. So it was all cool. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. So again, it's not alone. It's by Ghislaine Masson. It's about 20 bucks, give or take. You can find it a lot of different places. Uh, and if you have, you know, if you're locked up in your sanctuary right now, if you're quarantined and you're looking for something to play with, uh, you know, with your family, or with your friends, this definitely can work. It, there's no real violence or anything like that depicted on any of the card art. It's all kind of more exotic. So I don't know. I mean, it's up to everybody else how young you want to go. The, the board, the game says 10 plus, but you know, kind of up to you if you want to go any younger. It's not very difficult to play. There's a couple other decks of cards where, you know, humans get like specific special abilities that allow you to complicate things. The Not Alone Exploration expansion adds a couple extra locations and little wrinkles to the game as well to give it some more life. Uh, but it's a really good game. So that's Not Alone. Uh, check it out now. Well, Jeff, I wish I could say that I've been playing any new games. I haven't. I've been playing a game that's two years old, okay. but I love it. Okay. Uh, Witcher 3 is pretty great. Welcome. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Welcome to a couple years ago. Yeah. But um, uh, I have been trying to get into a new game, which is a Riot game we talked about a while back. Um, and it looks to be the CSGO killer because CSGO is a game from 15 years ago. I mean, so. that's, how they're, that's how they're billing it, at least. Yeah. So this game is called Valorant. It's brought by Riot Games. The situation is happening right now. There's a closed beta that happened a couple weeks ago. And so their, their way of kind of giving out their beta keys is they're letting those people who were in the closed beta stream it and they have this like drop thing set up. So if you watch their stream, you have a chance to get a beta key. Now there's no way to kind of like, like copy it and give it to anybody else. It just goes straight to your account. So there's no way to sell keys. There's nothing like that. So it's kind of an interesting way they're doing it. But basically, I've been watching this game for about two days straight now. So let's talk about what this game is and kind of how it works. So there's 10 characters. 
and they all have specific abilities. It is a mixture between CSGO and Overwatch. Um, the style is of Overwatch. It's kind of like almost cel-shaded, kind of Pixar-y, kind of the best way I can kind of describe it. Um, but the gameplay is pretty much CSGO. You have two to three bomb stations, and so there's like uh, A, B, and C. Sometimes it's just A and B. Hold on a second. So it's kind of your typical formula. You have sites, bomb sites you're trying to get to and, and put down a thing called a spike because it's futuristic and stuff. But like it's a little bit different than CSGO because you're going to have A site, B site, or you're going to have A, B, C. I think there's a few CSGO maps that have that, but there's very few. This one's just kind of like trying to twist it up a little bit. And it's the same stuff. Beginning of each round, you buy new items that you earn by doing well the previous round before. You run faster and walk faster if you have a knife out. But what makes this a little different is that you have Overwatch-style abilities that kind of like, I guess, supplement your flashbangs and grenades you'd buy in like a CSGO. So each character has their own unique abilities, but a lot of them kind of overlap in what they do because they don't want anyone to be kind of overly overpowered more than anybody else. So we're going to kind of go through these 10 characters and not go super crazy about it, but get a general overview of who they are and what they do. And it's the same thing. 5v5, you try to get, get a bomb on a place, they try to stop you. Meanwhile, you have guns and special abilities. So you have Breach. All of his stuff goes through a wall. He's got this like weird robotic arm. He has an AOE blast through a wall. He has a flashbang that goes through a wall. He has a disorient that goes through a wall. Basically, can go through like two or three walls. It depends on how long you charge it. And his ultimate is a giant knockup. So it kind of disorients and wrecks whoever's in that area. Next, you have Brimstone. He's a mini-map caster, so he's got this little thing on his arm that he basically can look at the mini-map and do certain things. First, he has a stem buff, which kind of like improves everybody's abilities around him. He has a noob tube, which is kind of like his little molly he can throw in a corner or whatever. He has a mini-map smoke, so he pulls up his wrist and he basically looks at the mini-map and he can put three smokes anywhere on the map he wants. Uh, but it's like one of the things where you're kind of guessing where those people are. And his ultimate's an orbital strike. So it's just basically pulls up his wrist and blows up a specific area. Next, you have Cypher, who's an intel person. He's kind of like a little spy. He's got a little tripwire that reveals who you are. So if someone's trying to rotate behind you, you put the tripwire up behind you, it tells you exactly where they're at, and it slows them down. He also has a smoke trap. It slows and alerts people when you like set it off. He's got a spy cam that kind of flies around and you can dart people. And then his ultimate is he throws his hat on a corpse and it reads their mind and it tells you where the rest of the, the party is on their team. <clears throat> Next you have Jet, who's very mobile. She's got a smoke bomb that you can kind of throw around corners. She's got a double jump. She's got a dash. And her ultimate's like Zenyatta's balls, but it's with knives. And if she hits you with it and kills you with it, it then resets the knives so she can kind of go off depending on what's going on. And you gotta understand the whole time, you gotta be quiet and strategic. It's not Overwatch. Overwatch is you respawn every three seconds, whatever. This is not that. <clears throat> Next you have Omen, who's a flanker. He's like a guy in like a, like a cape and whatever. He's got basically um, the teleport that, his name kind of, leave in mind right now from Overwatch, uh, the one with the two guns and the skull mask. I can't remember his name. But, uh, uh, I know like, what you're talking about. I actually played yeah. him. Don't remember his name because I haven't played the game in two years, but okay. <laughs> But basically, he's got his little teleport. Um, he's got a paranoia, which reduces the enemy's 
ability to percept things. So like he like kind of dampens their like hearing and stuff like that, which is pretty cool. He has a smoke grenade that he can throw through walls, and it's ultimately he has a global teleport. Phoenix, who's pretty interesting, uh, has a move I think is kind of broken. He's got a blaze wall that he basically puts up a wall. It hurts you when you walk through it and obscures your vision. He's got a curveball flash, which is pretty much instantaneous. If you throw this thing around the corner, there is no way you cannot see it, and you will be flashed. It's pretty broken. He also has a molly, and his ultimate is he throws out a projection of himself, and you control that projection for a little bit, so you can kind of scat out an area, but like you can't shoot with it. You're just basically getting a little bit of a scout. <clears throat> so that's Phoenix. Uh, Ray's is Big Booms. She's basically got a bot that she can throw around and chases people and explodes. An AoE bomb. She has grenades she can throw. And her ultimate's a rocket launcher, which can pretty much one-shot kill you. Um, you know, it's one of those... And, like, ultimates are hard to come by. You have to, it's either through rounds or you can pick up these orbs on the map that are very difficult to get because they're in pretty open spaces. Sage, who's the one I'm kind of most interested in, she's a, a support type of healer. She has an ice wall that she can break through but takes a little bit. It's only three of those things. It's a small little ice wall. Um, she has a slow orb, which slows people that she hits with. She has a heal that she can heal others or herself, and she also has a res, which is ridiculous in like a CSGO type of thing where you had five, now you have you had four, now you have five, which is really ridiculous. Um, that's the one I'm most interested in. Sona's an intel guy. He's kind of like Hanzo. He's got a bow and arrow. He's got a drone that he can throw out and just kind of fly around. A shock bolt, which kind of is an electric bolt, hurts people. The closer you are, the more it hurts. Um, a recon bolt, which is literally Hanzo's recon bolt, but it kind of can bounce off walls. It's the only difference. Um, and his ultimate is three global arrows that go through every wall. So if you have an idea where they are, you can just throw it. It's very, very much like Hanzo. It, some of them are kind of pretty tight ripoffs. Um, and then the last one's Viper. She's all about gas and farts. She can throw a poison thing on the ground. She has a toxic smoke bomb which is uh, pretty cool. So it's like a smoke that doesn't affect her because she's kind of like caustic where she can kind of put something on her. She has a mask on, but it's a smoke area. She can go in and kind of mess around him, but others go in and it hurts them. And it's also literally a smoke grenade. She has a toxic wall, which kind of obscures vision and hurts you when you go through a little bit. And her ultimate is a giant fart cloud she puts on the ground to kind of like obscure vision and she can move around in a lot and it hurts other people getting in. So, there's lots of unique players. I've watched maybe about, it's just kind of been on the background because I've been trying to get this key thing dropped on me. Um, I think uh, Blake already has it and he's barely watched anything, which makes me a little annoyed. But, you know, um, it seems pretty fun and high-paced. It's like CSGO, shorter rounds, uh, a lot more, like, playability with these characters. You know, it's not just, hey, am I using an AK? The biggest thing about CSGO that sucks is like the spray patterns of guns. You got to literally pull your gun down to the ground, even though it doesn't make any sense. This one has realistic spray patterns of guns. Obviously you can't like hold down and press it, but like you can tell that things spread out the fire for the go. This game is all about like tactical shooting and doing a good job of actually having good shooting skills. I know that when they first rolled this out, they were all about net code and making sure there was no, peaker advantages stuff like that and everything i've seen doesn't seem lame at all it seems pretty pretty solid and 
everyone has been playing it. Obviously, they're playing it because they're not they're not getting like sponsorships. It's just like they're you know people are going to want to get this drop. So you have people like Summit, you know, with two hundred and fifty thousand people watching him, just hoping for a drop, and they're just putting all these subs into him, stuff like that. Even though he's not getting paid by Valorant at all. So it's like it's really interesting how it's it's not a paid sponsorship, but it kind of is because they're getting paid by the people that are watching. But it's also like Riot's getting a huge amount of publicity from this, you know, through the streaming services. So it's really interesting how how this like marketing scheme has gone on. I mean, I've I've had it on the whole time. I haven't subbed anything because I'm a cheap ass. But you know, it's really interesting how it all has kind of worked in tandem together. And it is a it seems like a quality game. It is in beta. So it has a lot to still adjust. I'm sure they're going to have a billion characters because if it is Riot, Riot loves to come out with, you know, how many league characters? Like 150, something like that. And so, like, that's what they like to do. And cosmetics, that's how they're going to make their money. You can only get, like, five off the start. And then there's, like, a, a, a starter pack that gives you an extra three. And then, like, you, you still have to buy more with Riot points. So it literally is the League of Legends uh, <coughs> like game model that they have. But now it's with the shooter which is smart because I'm sure even, I mean, think of just our friend Keith, how much money he's dumped into league of legends on Malphite. Just I know Malphite alone. He's probably gone bankrupt. So, so yeah. So it's, it's an interesting thing where it's like, it has really nothing to do with tactical advantage. I'm sure you there's, there's riot points and, and uh, I call them real points and fake points. I forget what the other, like league points, or whatever, but I'm sure you'll be able to buy characters. However you want whether you want to buy and ride out or just put time in like you do with league, but it's all about like, you know, do you want this cool skin? And it's been a huge moneymaker that they've had for, for league. I'm sure they're going to do the same exact thing for this. So it's Valorant. I don't think it releases till next year, but it's in beta right now. I'm hoping to play it. I'll have an update on it later on as we get there. Eventually when we do play it, Um, it looks really good for a beta. Um, I'm looking forward to to playing it. So, yeah, yeah, that's what I've been doing in my time. It's been watching other people weeks. play a video game. Yeah, because I really want to play. That's yeah, there it is. All right, very cool. Well, uh, Justin and I have also uh, decided that we are going to start watching uh, a single show together, and that's going to be kind of our joint review this week. It's a show I've been super excited about because it's based off a role-playing game that I love. So that role-playing game is called Tales from the Loop, and it's by a game company called Free League, which is one of my favorite companies. They make the same game, they make the, the Mutant Year Zero game that I'm playing our Twitch campaign on on Fridays. Uh, this is the same company that makes it, and they're all using kind of the same RPG system. So the the world of Tales from the Loop is inspired by the art of a guy named uh, Simon Stalenhag, uh, who does all sorts of like this... It's hard to describe, but basically it's realistic art, but it has an infusion of of science fiction. Uh, much of Tales from the Loop from a game perspective is set in the 80s, and the idea of the game is that you play as children. So if you think about something like The Goonies or Stranger Things or Super 8 or something like that, in that sort of general framework, the loop of Tales from the Loop is basically this giant uh, conglomeration of technological wizardry. And so it's just it's like a company that functions underneath the ground of the city or the town 
and they're developing all sorts of new advanced technologies beyond that that we're we're kind of accustomed to. I won't get into the whole lore of the game, which is what the the show is borrowing off of. But the basic idea is that things like robots and hovercrafts and stuff like that are commonplace, and they are infused into the backdrop, the landscape of 1980s. And in the case of the television show, it's 1980s Ohio. It's like mid, I think it's Ohio. Yeah, it's like mid Midwestern America. With the game, uh, it's like Sweden. And there's also like a like a desert town in like Nevada as well. It's another place you can play it. Or you can just kind of make your own loop in whatever hometown you want to make it. So the, so the, the show is kind of infused with the element of nostalgia for the 80s, but also with this kind of exotic component of these like you're walking down the street and you can just see off to your right, there's this giant robot, but no one really bats an eye at it. Uh, it's it's so ever present as to become kind of boring and you're kind of complacent towards it. Uh, now, the show itself is on Amazon Prime. It dropped last Friday, so about five or six days ago. I want to say it was the 3rd of April. Uh, and there's eight episodes for the first season. And each episode runs about 50 minutes to an hour, give or take. Uh, the the show itself is developed by Nathaniel Halpern, and it's and he's also got the top writing credit. Uh, some some there's some recognizable faces in the show. Uh, Rebecca Hall, uh, who's been in many things, but I always remember her for uh, her role in The Prestige. She's just one of my favorite movies by Christopher Nolan. Uh, Jonathan Price uh, plays kind of this grandfatherly figure who runs the loop. Uh, you'll recognize him if you see him, and there's a bunch of other folks as well. Uh, the show is kind of structured interestingly in the sense that it's part anthological in the sense that each episode is almost standalone, uh, exploring a different character's experiences with some aspect of the loop, like the technology of that loop. Uh, but at the same time, all of the characters are interconnected. We're set in the same town, and so many of the characters are part of the same family or the same kind of like small social circle of families. Uh, so like the first episode loop, for instance, follows, quote, a young girl living in a small town as she looks for her mother. Uh, and then like the second one has to do with like these two teenage boys who um, who find something in the woods. And the one of the teenage boys, their younger brother was a primary component of the first episode. And the mother uh, and his mother was also a primary you know, component of the first episode. And then we move on to like episode three and Episode three follows like the primary character is this teenage this teenage girl who happened to be the love interest or like the the obsession of like one of the teenage boys from episode two. So there's that interconnectivity. Now there's not necessarily a really overt story arc uh, from one episode to the next. So it's not too serialized. So it's this real real in interesting blend of like serialized fiction but also anthology fiction. Uh, so everything takes place in the eighties, and I know a lot of people are going to immediately think about, okay, well, if there's the 80s and it's a bunch of kids doing like, you know, stuff with technology, clearly Stranger Things, right? But this is totally different, uh, honestly, than Stranger Things. It's different in tone. Uh, it's different in appearance. And Stranger Things was much more adventurous and it kind of, it has a lot of humor to it. Uh, whereas Tales from the Loop is much more, it's much more about the melancholy of it, right? It's about people being alone and sadness and, and like kind of sadness and exploring different things. Uh, you can tell that not not so much by not as not just by the actual subject matter of the episodes, but just stylistically how the shows themselves tend to be slower, the the scenes tend to be longer, the music isn't like synth, you know, isn't like pop synth or something like that, like we'll see all over Stranger Things, but it's rather more classical, sad uh, string music and and other orchestral type stuff. Uh, so. 
I don't know how many episodes Justin's got through, like three or four. I'm almost done. I'm like halfway through the final episode, but I couldn't finish it today uh, in time. But I've, I've watched the other other seven. Uh, and so we're just going to kind of do first impressions at this point. And since, since Justin hasn't gotten all the way through, we might return to this at some point in a few episodes. Once Justin catches up and finishes it all, maybe we'll give our final thoughts on it. Uh, but for now, Justin, uh, what are your first impressions of, uh, of Tales from the Loop so far? Overall... The first thing to say is it is a beautiful show. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Absolutely beautiful. And it is it is very much like the art you're talking about where every scene is almost like a splash art. Um, where you have like this weird juxtaposition of beautiful landscapes with giant monstrosity monster that no one ever explains or talks about. Right. Like, there's never like a moment where like, oh yeah, well this thing's here because like Everyone knows about it. Yeah, because everybody already knows about it. It's like there. It's like a water tower in anybody else's like city, you know? It's like that type of thing. It's just really interesting. And they're very strange. Like, like I'm up to the fifth episode. I, fit, I finished the fifth episode. That's the one. Of, it's a control. It's the one about the father who gets the, the scrapper. Sure. Yeah. And it's, it's just like, um, it's just like a lot of things in there are just kind of like, it's very much like a, a Twilight Zone show. Yes. Um, but all based around like this um, one little town and these, and it's almost like everyone's tagging off to the next person. Like you, the person who's going to be in the next episode was in the previous episode, if not just for a few seconds, right. you know, they're going right. to, they're going to kind of like pass it off. Um, but like, it's very, very much like signing the devil's, uh, signing your signature on a devil's contract where like, they'll do something but then there's ultimate like uh consequences for their actions and stuff like that in this world that they're in i think the only two that are not like that are maybe the first and second episodes first episode is just kind of like all right here's the world we're in this is something weird that happened in it and we're all okay with it which is kind of like okay second episode is kind of the same thing but then you get into the third episode well second episode there is like a big like hard twist where you're like, okay, well, this is signing the devil's contract type of thing. Then after that point, it gets like worse and worse with consequences and stuff like that. It's kind of messed up and like it, it sticks. Like it's something that happened in episode two, it has something to do with episode five, but like not in a way where it's like an overall arcing storyline. It's just kind of like these things happened and they're still occurring type of stuff. Yeah. I don't know if um, I would go so far as to call it like devil's contract, because I don't think everybody is choosing to do the things that you're, they're doing. Like sometimes it's just, it's just something happens, right? It's just like the, the, the negative effects that we don't necessarily think of when it comes to these technological advances that the loop has provided. Like each one of the episodes dive into some aspect of the loop in the way that it has affected the town or the individual person. Uh, and it's, like I said, it's very melancholy in the sense that these are very lonely people that are somewhat disconnected and they're struggling and they're trying to f- figure out if the loop and these technologies have some kind of answer to solve that. And I don't know if like all of them, like there's been a couple for sure, like the, definitely the second episode for sure. Uh, but I think some of sometimes it's more just a like the quietness of, of people struggling and, and trying to do something about it. Like every it's a very sad. Like I said, melancholy is the word I would. Yeah. Think, you know, and so it's like they rely on the loop to solve their problems. But the loop also causes some of their problems. It's really an interesting kind of like like study of like there's this thing that we still don't know what the hell it is. At least I don't know at my point. 
or what really goes on because underground is like this facility underground right but like it supplies jobs yet people's bodies are being switched in in event and you know with with huge consequences and it's just like really interesting like what's happening or like you have like what's the dad doing in the fifth episode like what is his job he's just going to different things and changing out fuses like but like they don't explain what it is they don't tell you what these stations are it's just kind of like but we have the equivalent of that like we see when we're driving around our neighborhoods we'll see you know comcast or cox or whatever sure but it's just really same thing yeah so strange but like it's really interesting and there's a lot of like really creepy moments um like not scary just kind of creepy like the robots that just walk around like their wildlife and stuff like that and it's just kind of like it's it's a very weird and compelling and interesting show and the fourth episode made me want to cry like 17 times so like it's it's it gets pretty sad and dark and interesting but like it's not to the point where it's like i don't want to watch it's it's really interesting like the whole exploration with those two characters in the fourth episode of mortality and you know the powers of the things that happen underground and how come it can do these things but can't do that those things and it's not fair and how you know life and inevitable death is not is is not fair it's like it really explores a lot of deep messed up tones but like it's it does it in a really interesting and unique way right and also the music's beautiful so that's that's all i gotta really say about it no for sure like and I mean, that's the like one of the things that I find interesting when I'm because when, I think the the variable con- comparisons to like, you know, like Stranger Things are out there. It's a modern television show dealing with young kids most of the time, but not every character in the show is young kids. You know, like there's a couple, but, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, we're also looking at the adults and the RPG you play as kids. And the, the I one of the things about the RPG is like the, one of the rules is that you can't go to adults for help. Like the adults aren't around, they're absentee, they're not paying attention, they're busy with something else. And so like the kids have to figure out the trouble on their own. And like from a from a game conceit, that's that's pretty cool because it means it kind of forces the characters to, to the people who are playing the characters to be creative. But also when you start thinking about it socially, like that means like a lot of absentee parents. That means that there's these kids running around in the wilderness and running around in the woods and running around in the streets. And sometimes they're interacting with incredibly dangerous technology. And we're not just talking about like sticking your finger on a light socket. We're talking like, you know, body switching and stuff like that. We're talking like time travel, parallel universe travel, like whatever, whatever shtick you can think of when it comes to science fiction is kind of like invented here. Uh, in the episode that Justin's talking about in Echosphere, there's a line where somebody asks the uh, the guy who's in charge of the loop, like, what do you do down there? And he says, well, we make the impossible possible, right? And that's pretty much what they're doing. It's almost like a think tank for them trying to develop, you know, cra- crazy new technologies in a way that, you know, would somehow benefit society. Uh, but the the tech we're seeing a lot of the times the tech that they're encountering is old tech. It's like rusted tech. It's tech that has been discarded and forgotten about because the loop has been around for so long that some of the discoveries that they've had in the past, we just don't really care about anymore. We don't really think about like in number in, in, in episode two, two teenage boys, they find this thing in the, in the, in the woods and it gives them an interesting opportunity that they perhaps take too far, you know, and that's that's kind of how how that goes. Same thing kind of happens in, in in episode three, where the teenage girl she finds something while fishing, and it gives her this kind of this arcane and interesting glimpse into the universe to some way, but then she maybe pushes it too far, right? And so a lot of this is about 
trying to answer questions like parallel that which is episode six uh very similar uh episode seven uh justin if you think you've had creepy seven is probably the creepiest one uh in a way and and i'm kind of curious how eight's going to end it all and see if it's going to find some way to uh tie it together jody foster actually directed the the final episode too, the eighth episode so i'm kind of curious what it's going to be but i i found that the, the, the few things I would say about this show to kind of wrap up my thoughts is that I think it's a fantastic show that I think is presenting real honest people uh, in an authentic way that are trying to deal with real honest problems that are somehow contributed to by this this loop, right? You can replace the loop with something else. Replace the loop with like a shoe factory that that you know that kind of props up the entire in the entire town. It's kind of got that feel to it. Like the entire town is built up around this loop. It's so ingrained into their way of society. Um, where where I think Stranger Things goes for the glitterly lights, the, you know, the fuchsia, uh, the the neon, and tries to like bank on nostalgia and synth, which is incredibly fun. I think Tales from the Loop uh, doesn't really do the same thing. I don't even think we saw neon of any kind in here and all the music we're playing is kind of like old time music. So I think there's a more sobering look at our past uh in this in this particular show than in you know the Netflix the Netflix Stranger Things. Uh I did I will say that I think it's I mean at times I have trouble marathoning it in a way. I don't know if it lends itself to marathon as easily as some other shows simply because it's not it's not pulpy and poppy. It's, you know, it's slower. It's meandering. It's, it, inter- it's introspective. It makes you kind of think about. It's a good word. Yeah, everything that's going on, and it's just like, oh man, it's, that's heavy. Yeah, it's like heavy. Like yeah. You said, it's right. a small town in Ohio. They their lifeblood is this place. So, like, if it were to leave, it destroys the city. It, they're dependent on it to survive and it's kind of like an interesting thing where like you know i guess it's not so much devil's contract as like monkey spot like you have this thing that helps you but it causes such calamity at a cost yeah amongst everything in the in the but like it's like a factory like yeah it causes pollution but we shut down this factory this whole city goes under you yeah. know it's like stuff like that it's it's pretty interesting yeah so really strong. Uh, I got I got really strong feelings towards it. I think it's great. I I, I love it. Um, I I think the only reason I've watched so many is because I knew we were gonna we were going to review it. Uh, ideally, I think I probably would have paced it more. Uh, I think this is a show that warrants taking your time. And I think if you if you kind of take your time with it, you might appreciate the individual individual stories more. Uh, and I'm really I really like the structure of how the storytelling is working. I really like how you could theoretically pick any episode and just watch that episode, and it from start to finish is almost like a Twilight Zone Black Mirror type of episode. But I do think the order of them is allowing you to kind of learn bits and pieces about different people that are recurring characters in these other stories and these other episodes. Uh, so big, uh, big thumbs up from me. And I hope you continue watching it. And we should, we should touch base in a couple of weeks uh, once, once you finished it and we'll, yeah, I'm going to finish it off. But like you said, like it's, it's tough take to your watch time. Yeah. too many in a row. It's, it's there. It's not that it's like, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Like you said, it's just like, 
it's it's they're heavy you kind of want to let them simmer a little bit rather yeah. than just kind of push them through the next one yeah that's exactly how i feel all right so that was uh tales from the loop it's up on amazon prime video all eight episodes so go take a look go start watching it uh and uh and then watch something else too because they're not entirely like feel good all the time they're they're very like i said melancholy is the word that just kept coming to mind uh, so that's about it for our episode this week. Uh, Justin and I can be found in a variety of places. You can catch uh, you can catch Justin on his Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Jehufa, where he's going to stream a variety of variety of video games. He's doing uh, Witcher 3 lately. Uh, you can catch his World of Warcraft streaming on uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Uh, you can catch... Final Fantasy comes out tomorrow. So yeah, be, yeah. Not tomorrow, two days. So I'll be playing a lot of that. Uh, then you can catch uh, you can catch both of us tomorrow or tomorrow night. So Thursday night, that is the ninth, and every Thursday, uh, starting at seven p.m. PST, uh, so Pacific time, uh, we're over on Twitch.tv/slash ZweihanderRPG, uh, playing about a two to two and a half hour uh, show, uh, kind of uh, kind of medieval fantasy RPG type of thing. Uh, and then on Fridays, you can catch me over at Twitch.tv/ TheLollygaggers, playing a post-apocalyptic RPG. Uh, starting at 6 p.m. PST. Uh, and if you uh, want to get in touch with us, you can catch us on Twitter. I'm at LollygaggerCO. Justin's at BuysJustin. Uh, so the end to end the episode, uh, Justin, the Tales from the Loop RPG has a variety of different kind of... You don't have character classes as much as they have like different themes for a character. Uh, so like there's the jock, there's the music lover, there's like the cool guy, the bookworm, that kind of thing. Uh, so, Justin, if uh, if we were to play Tales from the Loop, uh, and I'm not going to tell you which specific categories they have because I want you to be able to go off the board if you want to. Uh, thinking back to your time as like an eight to twelve year old or so, uh, how would you categorize yourself into what role you would play uh, within a Tales from the Loop group? Um, I would be the karate dancer. It's not that I know karate or know how to dance. I just dance like I'm doing karate whenever Ninja Turtles comes on. Like the, the when Ninja Rap comes on, I'm I'm karate dancing all over the living room. So that's what my class would be, karate dancer. 